inshallah we'll go ahead and get started. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wassalatu wassalamu ala sayyidina wa nabiyyina wa habib qulubina wa shafi'i dhunubina wa tabib nufusina abil qasim al-mustafa Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad wa ajjil farajahum wa ala ahli baytihi al-tayyibin al-tahirin wa la'natu al-da'imu ala a'da'ihim ajma'in min al-ane ila qiyam yawm al-deen for the love of our beloved prophet and his beloved progeny please recite a second loud salawat Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad wa ajjil farajahum for the hastening in the return of our beloved 12th Imam, a third final loud salawat. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajjil farajahum. Inshallah tonight we'll continue with the tafsir of Suratul Mursalat. This is going to be our third session on Suratul Mursalat. In the last session we ended here where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we went through all the way till verse number 19. We mentioned Suratul Mursalat. One of the main themes that you will come across in this surah is this verse that is repeated over and over again. Woe to those who deny the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment. We were talking about this and we said that this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala draws a line. There are those who are close to mercy, there are those that are close to the maghfirah and the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then there are those that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly mentions in the verses of the Qur'an and Hadith that they are not going to qualify for His mercy. That His mercy is not going to be there with Him. It's famous in a famous story, a companion came to Abu Dhar al-Ghifari and he asked Abu Dhar, he said, I want to know if I'm going to be amongst those who's going to enter heaven or not. And he said, if you want to know if you're going to enter heaven or not, take your actions and put them up against the standards of the Qur'an. If they meet those standards, then you're good to go. If not, then not. And this person said, what about the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? He said, inna rahmatallahi qareebun min al-muhsineen. He said, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is there for those who have fundamental qualifications. One of those fundamental qualifications, at the very least, is that when the truth is presented to this person, he does not deny the truth out of arrogance. And we went through that verse from Suratul Araf in the previous session. That the one who knowingly and out of arrogance he turns away from the message, La sama, the doors of the heavens will never open upon such a person. And this person will not enter into heaven. Unless a camel passes through the thread of a needle. And we said this was a saying and a metaphor that the Quran uses to explain how impossible, how uncomprehendable such a thing is. So this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala draws the line. And this in fact answers a very important question for us as well. When we talk about the worst creature that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created, the most evil creature that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created, if you were to ask people who that person or who that being or entity is, they will tell you it's shaitan. But shaitan, how did he turn into this evil being? How did he turn into this evil entity? Did he steal? Did he murder? Did he lie? Did he do all of these things, but these weren't the reasons that made him the most evil creature that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created? 
fundamentally, when you look at the story of Shaytan, what made Shaytan who he is today was not that he did not do sajda. It was that he did not do sajda out of arrogance and he never repented and he never admitted to this mistake of his. There is a big difference between the one who commits a sin and admits that he has committed a sin and the one who makes a sin and commits a sin and does not admit to such a thing. This is why so many of our du'as, when you start to read the du'a, the du'a actually starts out with what we will call i'taraf bil-dhunub, admitting to your sins. Because when you admit to that sin, that is the first step towards forgiveness. But the one who has the type of arrogance that doesn't even allow him to admit to his sins, this is the biggest of mistakes that a human being or a servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can make. And this is exactly what shaitan did. It was the arrogance of shaitan that created a problem for him. It wasn't just missing what sajda here or there. No. It was his arrogance afterwards to not accept the fact that he has to do sajda. So this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala draws the line. Where someone arrogantly turns away from the truth. This person, he does not qualify for the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why Surah Al-Mursalat 10 times, وَيْلٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ لِلْمُكَذِّبِينَ Woe to those who turn away from the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These 10 times that وَيْلٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ لِلْمُكَذِّبِينَ is mentioned in Surah Al-Mursalat. We said that initially it was mentioned once and then you will have batches of verses and after each batch, you will find this verse repeated again. And it's kind of like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that here are some of my other signs. وَيْلٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ لِلْمُكَذِّبِينَ You've seen these signs, so woe to you if you don't accept the truth. Here's another batch of my signs. And then again, Every time he talks about a group of his signs, something that is supposed to wake you up, and you don't wake up because of it, he goes back to the same phrase. So we went through the first batch. This is verse 16. One of those signs that you have seen, and this might apply to the people of the time of the Prophet a bit more than it applies to us today, though it even applies today, and that is the punishment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent upon the tribes that were there before the people of the Prophet. The people of Nuh and the people of Hud and the people of Salih and the, and you know, the tribe of Thamud and the different tribes that the Quran mentions. Yes, this was the first batch. He said, وَيْلٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ لِلْمُكَذِّبِينَ Verse 19. This is where we ended in our previous session. Then he moves on to a new batch. This new batch is going to be speaking of a new sign or signs, a new set of signs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings to the attention of the human being. And he expects the human being to see these and wake up. He expects the human being to see these and accept the truth. And he starts from verse 20. Did we not create you from a low and a base drop of fluid? The moment we hear these words of the verse, the first question that naturally comes to our mind is what is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala trying to get at? Naturally, we know He's trying to show us that we were not just created in this world for no reason. We came from a divine world. He's trying to say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exists and that our creation was from Him. But if you wanted to tell us that we have a divine origin, should you be telling us that we were created 
from a filthy, polluted, you know, low base water or drop of fluid? What is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala trying to do here? That's the question that we're trying to answer here. If I want to share with you that you belong to this whole world that's going to come after this world, there's going to be this hereafter and that you came from a divine place, you're not just this body, I shouldn't be speaking of you in this low manner, yes? I should be speaking of you as an individual who has this divine origin. But it seems that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's trying to get at a different point here. Did we not create you from a low and a base drop of fluid? What is he trying to get at? What is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala trying to highlight here? What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to highlight here is that this human being that we see today with all of its functionalities, the intellectual capabilities that it has, that has given it the power and the ability to master and humble and, and take over the whole world and every other species out there, this human being with all of its functions, it came from a very low point. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say it was the art of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was the touch of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that out of something that we consider dirty and filthy, something that we would consider base and low, he brought about a creation that is so high and is so great. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is drawing the contrast here. That if you see this human being today walking on earth with all of the capabilities that it has, the best of creation of ours, what adds to the significance of this creation is that it came from a drop of fluid that if you had on your clothing, you would wash it quickly. That adds to the significance of his creation. A very similar contrast Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala draws between the creation of milk, where it starts from, and what you get as a result. This contrast that he's drawing. Pay attention because the point is a very delicate point. He's trying to show you how out of something that is dirty and filthy, he can bring about the most divine and beautiful and pure things. That's why we read, in Surah An-Nahl, he says, وَإِنَّ لَكُمْ فِي الْأَنْعَامِ لَعِبْرَةِ In these cattle that you see, there is a ibra for you. There is a sign. There is a lesson for you. You're supposed to be thinking about these things. وَإِنَّ لَكُمْ فِي الْأَنْعَامِ لَعِبْرَةِ نُسْقِكُمْ مِمَّا فِي بُطُونِهِ We have you drink from those things that are in the bellies of these cattle. Okay, so what's in the bellies? of a cow, for example. What, what is it that comes out of the intestines, the body of this, of this cattle? He says, of course, we bring out the milk, but how do we bring it out? Here's the point. He says, Out of this animal that you look at, if you were to dissect this animal, the inside of the animal, what do you find in there? You find two main substances. You find the food that this animal has eaten, which is the waste, yes, that is going to leave the body of this animal. On the other hand, you find something else that is dirty and impure, which is the blood of this animal. The waste and the blood, they're both impure. They are both filthy. They are both things that you keep a distance from. But this is what we do. We take two things that are impure, that are dirty and filthy, 
And what do we do? We bring about Lebanon Khalisa. We bring about a pure milk. It's so pure that when this person drinks it, it tastes so wonderful for him. It is so pleasurable for him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is drawing a contrast between what he is dealing with in the material world and what he creates from it. Similarly, he is teaching you and me that if you see the human being reaching a point where it separates itself from these impurities and it has a certain status and it has a certain position, as position that's higher than animals, that's more divine than animals, this human being didn't start out this way. This is what the verse is saying. We were the ones who brought the human being from a dirty drop of fluid to this human being that you find in front of you today. The contrast, when you put this into contrast, the beginning where it started from and what you end up with, now you understand the khalqa, the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this on one hand, it shows the significance of the creator. At the same time, it humbles the creation. It's two birds with one stone if you think about it. On one hand, he says, look at what we did. We were de dealing with something that was impure and we created this pure human being. On the other hand, it humbles the creation because it reminds the human being where he came from. This is why that beautiful hadith of Ali ibn Abi Talib says, we have hadith with this, con with this content. Sometimes Ali ibn Abi Talib himself is narrated to have said this. Sometimes his children, his grandchildren, Imam Sadiq, Imam al-Baqir, they narrate from their fathers from Amirul Mu'mineen, having said this, pointing to this same idea that humbles the human being, reminding him where he came from. He says, عَجِبْتُ لِبْنَ Adam." I'm surprised at the son of Adam. Why? Because when he starts out, when he starts out, he's a drop of fluid that is impure. A drop of fluid that if you had on your clothes, you would want to distance yourself from it. It's najis. And when we're done, he's done with his whole life, it's a corpse that again you distance yourself from it. You don't even want to be around this dead body. The beginning is najis. The end is najis. And he says between these two stations, between these two stations, he carries najasa with him. He carries as a normal function of his body, waste with him. And then somehow, he still has the boldness to be arrogant. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, on one hand, he is showcasing the magnificence of his creation, of how he took the impure and turned it into the pure, and then on the other hand, he is reminding this pure being to humble him because of these impure be beginnings and origin that he had. He's doing it both ways. And both are in the best interest of the human being. It is in the best interest of the human being to understand the magnificence of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and at the same time, the humility that he is supposed to have. Both of these you find with one verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, Alam mahin. Did we not create you from these humble beginnings? Did you not come from this drop of fluid that is impure? Recite a salawat please.
Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Muhammad wa ajjil farajahum. Then he moves on. He's not done with the process yet. Then he moves on. فَجَعَلْنَاهُ فِي قَرَارٍ مَكِينٍ Then we took this drop of fluid and we placed it in a protected place. We placed it in a place where it belongs, where it settles down. This drop of fluid, by the way, this DNA that you will find within this fluid is such a mystery to the human being. So many questions we have about the DNA of the human being, still we don't have answers to. But it is so delicate, the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that this DNA that is so small that you can't see and observe with your naked eye, it is so small, even the slightest changes in the DNA of the human being, not only changes how the human being is going to turn out, forget about that, can even change the species of the human being. Scientists today, when they look at DNAs of different species, we would look at the human being, we would look at a monkey, we would look at a chimpanzee, for example. We would say, yes, these are different species. But when you go down to the DNA of these different species, scientists will tell you that the difference between the DNA of the human being and the DNA of a chimpanzee, for example, is around 1%. Meaning that almost 99% of the DNA is the same. Just 1% of it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changed. And this one turns into a human being and this one turns into a chimpanzee. This is how delicate the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. We look at that drop of fluid and we say this is dirty, yes? And Islam says this is dirty. But within that drop of fluid and within that DNA lies so much information that if you wanted to take out that information and copy it and put it into books, you would have volumes of books because this DNA carries how much information with it? It carries so many different characteristics of the human being. The color of the hair might be related to it. The color of the eye might be related to it. The, the height of this human being, so, so many different aspects of genetics all within this small little DNA that you and I can't even observe with our eyes. This is a mystery of, of, the, of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How does such small, delicate things determine such huge outcomes? Sometimes even the akhlaqi characteristics that a human being is naturally born with, certain physical capabilities. How many of these have to do with genetics? The initial capabilities, many of them, Go back to the genetics of the human being. And then out of these four to six chromosomes, if one is missing, for example, or one is copied in the wrong manner, then you see that this human being may not be functioning in the way that other human beings are functioning. Then there are differences. All of these delicate things that if you were to change 1% of it, it's no longer even a human being. Forget about the color of his eye. It's no longer even a human being. And you will find many times, evolutionary biologists, they will quote this fact that the difference between the human being and the chimpanzee is so little. And they will use this as more of a proof to prove their reasoning that the human being came from other species. But of course, the theory of evolution still has certain things that it has to answer. Still there are objections to it that it has to answer. Nonetheless, whether we believe in it or we don't believe in it, the conclusions that are drawn from it, from our perspective, are incorrect. That it 
would go against the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the existence of a creator and so on and so forth. That's a discussion for another time. Maybe not even a lecture. It's more so maybe a topic for a course or a workshop, something like that. Nonetheless, though they might quote this fact more so as a proof for their own reasoning, we quote it to show you how delicate the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. That if you were to change a percentage, this human being is no longer a human being, at least when it comes to its physical characteristics. Then he moves on. Then we took this drop of fluid, this embryo, we placed it within this place where it is protected, it is settled. Where is this place? Where the embryo is protected, this is of course the womb of the mother. And the womb of the mother, not only from a physical aspect, if you look at it, is the best place. It lies right in the middle of the body of the mother. That from the top and the bottom, it's protected. But even more so than that, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we place this in a protected area. We place it in an area where it is compatible for it. The physical aspect is one thing. The other aspect are the motherly emotions. Because the motherly emotions are part of the protection of the child. When we talk about this embryo being within the womb of the mother, many times we look at it from a physical perspective, which is correct. From a physical perspective, it is deeply embedded within the womb of the mother and the mother is, is nurturing this child. But what is also happening as this woman goes from being a woman to being a mother, what happens? Then these motherly emotions start to develop. Then this mother starts to give away from herself. She starts to sacrifice from herself for this child. And how much of the protection comes from this? A lot of it comes from this. And this is a role, it is a status, it is a position that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has only granted to the mother and to the women. And this, brothers and sisters, is a manifestation of the nurturing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a divine touch that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has only given to women. A man can never do this. A man will never have the same type of emotions. A man will never be able to nurture this embryo. He can't do it. He's not blessed with it. The woman is blessed with this. That she takes this creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts to grow within her. But of course, as the creation starts to grow within her, she has to give from herself. How, does she, how is she able to do this? Because of those motherly emotions that she has. How much of the protection comes from this mother sacrificing from herself mentally, emotionally, physically, for the sake of this child. And this mother starts to melt away a little bit for the sake of this child. And of course, we are to protect this mother. Of course, we are to assist this mother. But at one point or another, there is a point where the mother has to give away from her physical capabilities, from her physical power, energy, because she's giving away to another creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This nurturing touch of the woman is something that is divine, that only the woman has. And usually I don't speak directly to the sisters, but if we have sisters watching tonight, I will say this directly to you. This divine touch, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with it, do not let anyone tell you 
that there is something greater than this role that you can play. No, this is one of the greatest roles that one can play. It doesn't mean that the life of a woman is only summarized within the child and the child's well-being. No, that's not what we're saying. That's not even what we see with the Ahlul Bayt. No. But understand the value of this nurturing characteristic that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted to you and did not grant to anybody else. There are two extremes here. There's the extreme that's, that completely underestimates this, this nurturing effect that the woman has, which we find in our society today. There's the other extreme that says the only role that the woman plays is this role. Neither of these are correct. The approach that the Quran takes is while there are other roles that the woman can play, of course, but we are not to underestimate the divine value of this role. Why? Because no one else can do it. This is a divine touch that the woman has been blessed with. We put this embryo in a place where we are sure about. Then the verses of the Quran continue. For a very particular period of time. And then take a look at what the next verse says. This is verse 23. We took into account that period. And we know very well what we're doing. We know very well how to keep this embryo within this womb until the proper time that it comes where the embryo and this child now needs to leave the womb. We decide that. And if you think about this, this is very correct. When the embryo is in the womb, the mother, yes, she gives away from herself. But is she managing everything in the womb? No. There's so much happening in this womb. This child is being fed. How? Is the mother putting food in the mouth of the child? No, she's just consuming her own food. And somehow this food is making its way towards this child at the same time. The Quran says, we take care of all of this. The mother has her role, and while she is doing her role, we carry out these sophisticated functions within her womb to make sure that this child grows and grows until that period of time ends. And what wonderful accounters we are. How wonderfully do we know when the right time is for this child to leave the womb? This is the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Before when he was talking about alam nakhluqkum mimma'im maheen, he was talking about how the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts from a drop of fluid and then turns into something that is pure. But now that this embryo is within the womb of the mother and it is growing within the womb of the mother, there is something miraculous that happens here. We talked about DNA. We said there are physical capabilities of yours that are determined by the DNA. If you change it a little bit here or there, the chromosomes, the result of it is going to be different. Your mind is blown by the delicacy of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes about the creation of His. Now there is something else that's happening inside of the womb. That's the material side of the human being. But then there's something else that's happening inside this womb. Because when this embryo enters into the womb, it goes from being lifeless to being alive. How does this happen? 
This is a question that thinkers and intellectuals and philosophers have been pondering and contemplating as long as the human being has been alive. And still we don't know. And when you sit with individuals who will tell you and bring about the theory of evolution and will try to explain how the theory of evolution can explain the development of the human being, this is one of those objections that they will struggle to answer. Yes, you can explain to me how a being can go from being simple to turning into something that is complex, that is sophisticated. But can you explain the origin of life? How does this thing that is lifeless turn into something that is alive? This is where you will find the flag bearers of atheism. They don't have an explanation for this. It's very, how do you explain this? That this creature that was dead in the sense of having life, now all of a sudden it has life. Now all of a sudden it has what we call ruh. These are elusive concepts. We may not even fully understand what's happening. And this is why in the verses of the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes back to this idea again and again. In Surah Al-Rum, he says, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ أَنْ خَلَقَكُمْ مِنْ تُرَابٍ Amongst our signs is that we created you from dirt. You came from dirt. Dirt is lifeless. ثُمَّ إِذَا أَنْتُمْ بَشَرٌ تَنْتَشِرُونَ then all of a sudden, before you know it, you are these living beings. What happened between these two stations? He went from lifeless to being alive. But how do you explain this process? This is where the human being is stuck and will continue to struggle to understand. In Surah Al-Mu'minun, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala beautifully, He manifests and shows to us how mysterious this part of His creation is. He says, فَخَلَقْنَا النُطْفَةَ عَلَقَةً We took the human being and it started from a nutfa and then this nutfa turns into this embryo and then it goes, خَلَقْنَا النُطْفَةَ عَلَقَةً ثُمَّ مُذْغَةً Yes, and then it turns into bones and then we grow flesh over these bones. فَكَسَوْنَا الْعِظَامَ لَحْمًا And then he says this, ثُمَّ أَنْشَأْنَاهُ خَلْقًا آخَرٍ then there's another touch of creation, another form of creation that happens. When we add that final step, that's when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, now this human being is special. Now I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest of creators. What happened here? This human being went from being something that is lifeless, even though it's complex, it's lifeless, to then having life blown into it. We don't know what these mean. We just hear these words from the Quran. That's why anytime you and I want to have a glimpse of another world, anytime you and I want to look into the divine and see a manifestation of the divine, you don't have to look any further than looking into the eyes of a newborn. If you look into the eyes of a newborn, where this newborn, not too long ago, did not have life. And now you look into this newborn's eyes, it has more life. It is more lively than you are. Who gave this life to this newborn? What happened in this process? That's a window 
into a different world. A world that the Quran tells us about, we may not be able to fully understand, though we are experiencing it ourselves in one way or another. But if we wanted to put it into words, we can't really do that. All we can say is, Then he puts another touch of creation. They come and ask you about ruh. Tell them, It's the kun fayakun. You don't understand. We have given you but a small amount of knowledge. We don't truly understand what, what is happening with the soul of the human being. After all of this, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Now if you see this, if you see something dead turning into something alive, and you still don't ask who gave life to this dead thing, woe to you. Because you're seeing his signs now. Yes, the one who doesn't see the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one who the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are not brought to his attention, he's not held accountable. But you see these signs now. We just shared with you how we take this child, something that is not alive, and we give it life. That should bring a lot of different signs to your attention. You should be, forgive me, asking yourself, what happened here? Where did this life come from? Then he moves on. These are verses 25, and inshallah I want to reach verse 28 before we end tonight. 24, 25. Now he's going to move to another set of signs. The signs that he was discussing up until now had to do with the creation of the human being. These are things that, believe it or not, we have experienced and still we can't put into words. But now he turns to another set of signs. There are those signs that lie within you. There are those signs that lie outside of the human being. And this is what that verse from Surah Fussilat refers to. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Sanurihim ayatina fil we will show them our signs. In the horizons, meaning outside, wafi anfusihim, as well as inside of themselves. Up until here, he was discussing how you've come into creation. Now he's going to go to the second set of signs. What happens outside of the human being? Starts from here. Alam kifata. Did we not create the earth kifata, a place where the human being can easily live? This is another mystery that the human being is stuck on, that the human being struggles to comprehend. That how is it that this earth that we live in is in the exact perfect spot that it needs to be in, as they call it the Goldilocks zone? How is it that this earth of ours? is just enough close to the sun and just enough far away from the sun where the fluctuations in temperature does not freeze or burn earth. Yes, these temperatures that we go through are nothing. We go from 50 to 90 and we say it's very hot. But if they were to take this earth and move it a bit closer to the sun, then you're not talking about 90. You might be talking about 900 then. Alam kifata. We have made this earth a place where the human being can be there while it is alive and while it dies. It is a place, and if you think about it, this is a beautiful point the verse is making. It is a place where the human being 
has sustenance and can live on it, it is habitable, and at the same time, it is a place where the human being, when he dies, can return back to it. This earth has multiple capabilities. It can host the human being while it's alive and while the human being has left this world and while it is dead. And on this earth we have placed these heavy and sturdy and firm and tall mountains. And we have given to you on this earth a sweet water. And with that we'll bring tonight's talk to an end. Thank you dear brothers and sisters for tuning into another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. I hope that this episode was another step for all of us to coming closer to having a deeper understanding of the Quran and the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you would like to stay updated on the courses, the presentations, or the other podcasts that Mizan Institute is offering, you can always follow us on the major social media platforms on Facebook, on Instagram, or Twitter, or you can always refer to Mizan Institute's website, which is MizanInstitute.org. Finally, if there is any feedback, feel free to leave a review for the podcast, or you can always message us directly on any of these platforms so that we can benefit from your feedback for future projects, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.